Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's show, a quick reminder that this podcast is free for everyone and supported by those who can afford it. So uh, if you have found this podcast a useful companion during 2020, and you'd like to see it continue through 2021, I would invite you to go to plantyourself.com slash gift. If you are in a position where you have the means to support something that means something to you and hopefully uh, you think is doing good in the world. You can use PayPal or Patreon. You can make a one-time contribution or become an ongoing sustaining patron of the show. And if funds are too tight for you to show your appreciation in a monetary sense, you can still leave a review of the Plant Yourself podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. That also helps us a great deal. All right, on to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of Plant Yourself, the Big Change Program, and Well Start Health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a meaningful and musical life. On the podcast, I am thrilled to welcome Micah Hendler. Micah is the founder and director of the Jerusalem Youth Chorus, which includes singers from both East and West Jerusalem, which is a code for it includes Arabs and Jews, Palestinians and Israelis, teenagers who have been brought up fearing each other, hating each other, and most of all, not knowing each other, brought together in a space in which they make music as a collective in which they engage in dialogue. And it's part of a larger movement in the Middle East called Seeds of Peace, with the idea that each one of these young people who comes away from the experience humanizing the other and getting to know them as a person, as someone with a different perspective, as someone with legitimate stories, rather than just part of a propaganda machine or the enemy. And I know this isn't about plants. It's not about nutrition. It's not about health. It is about making the world a better place. It is about uh, the human spirit. And I would argue that if you're living in a war zone, the food that you're eating is probably not at the top of your list as long as you can have access to food at all. And as we spoke, there were a bunch of other parallels to the work that we're doing in this country and around the world to rationalize human diet, to rationalize human health, to rationalize our relationship to the environment, to the other species that inhabit our planet as well. And that's the idea of thinking big, because right now it feels like we're seeds as well, right? Like we have our little community, we cling together and we face opposition on all sides from pharmaceutical industry, from industry in general, from our friends, from our families, from the mass media, from academia, from the medical establishment. Right. We are just starting out as well to try to bring about a consciousness shift. And so to be able to go outside our movement and learn from other people who are trying the same sorts of things, I think, was extremely edifying for me. And I hope you also will see the parallels. But mostly, I'd love for you to meet Micah, to get a sense of his mission, to hear him talk, talk about some of his stories, and to fall in love with the idea that music, the arts, human connection 
can build bridges where argumentation and rational discourse and debate seem to fall on deaf ears. So a way for us to come together with spirit and in spirit, as opposed to the zero-sum debate that we're too often engaged in. Before we begin one thingy, which is the latest WellStart cohort began yesterday, and we would like to add a couple more folks to it. So if you have been thinking about improving your health, if you've been thinking about joining a community of support, if you've been thinking about really handling some of those iffy habits and creating a healthy identity for yourself, um, hj at plantyourself.com, just shoot me a note and we can get you onboarded very quickly, get you caught up. It's only a couple of days worth of content so far, and I'd be happy to do that for you. All right. That's about it for me. Oh, one more thing. Been getting a bunch of Patreon patronage over the last few weeks, and I really, really appreciate it. I'm almost to the point where this podcast is less than 50% subsidized by me, by my time, by my money. And it feels amazing to be part of this community that also sees this as a valuable thing. Um, so that just as I see it as valuable and I put a lot of myself into it, that other folks are doing that as well. So just before we get to the interview today, I just wanted to mention that up front. All right. So let's talk about music and peace and thinking big. Without further ado, Micah Hendler, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so um, we, we met at a concert in, in New York City. I guess it was in... May or June, it was, it was a while mm -hmm. back. Um, it was an amazing event. It, it featured um, Israeli and Palestinian uh, American artists coming together um, for the, in the cause of peace. And, and you were there um, as a musician and also as a, as a representative of an, of an organization that you, you founded and have been running for the past bunch of years. Um, and this is, it's, a, it's an unusual topic for this podcast, but... I feel like the idea of sort of peace and harmony and getting to know each other is sort of integrally related to the, the topics that I focus on, sort of health and, and happiness and, and individual well-being. So Definitely. Um, I, I'd love for you just to begin with, you know, your, your background and, and how, you, how you ended up uh, founding a, a choir in Jerusalem. Sure. Um, so I'm from Washington, D.C. I, uh, you know, grew up in a pretty traditional sort of down the middle, uh, Jewish community in the U.S. Um, and was very well educated in one side of, uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and completely blind to uh, the other side, um, but that was how the education was constructed. Um, and so when I went to see the piece uh, when I was in high school, it totally blew my mind. Uh, when I was in a dialogue group with Palestinians, Jordanians, Egyptians, etc., and Israelis, um, but I was hearing so many things for the first time that on retrospect were so obvious. But um, because of the way that my mind had been closed uh, by the education I'd received, I was unable to see those things, even though they were really obvious. 
And so it wasn't until really meeting somebody from the other reality um, that I was able to expand my own worldview. Um, and so that was a very what, what powerful that, process. What that event was, the Seeds of Peace? Sure, yeah. So Seeds of Peace is a summer camp and dialogue program for teens from conflict regions. Um, and specifically, it focuses on that kind of process of helping people out of the boxes in which their societies have put them particularly vis-a-vis one another, and also, like, regarding their own relationship to themselves. Uh-huh. How, how did you end up there, given your indoctrination? Was that something that your, your community want, you know, was encouraging, or did you find out about it on your own? Like, there must have been some sort of openness even to the possibility of, of understanding. Right. Well, I actually, I mean, I overheard, by the time I went to see the piece, I was not at the Jewish school that I was, had been at anymore. I was at a different school and one of my classmates had gone to the program and I overheard her talking to one of her friends about it. And it just sounded like the coolest thing that I'd ever heard. So uh, uh-huh. was, I checked it out at, and I applied. Was that at Sidwell? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, Sidwell is a Quaker school, so they're sort of, you know, yeah. they have strong affiliations with peace movements around the world. Um, exactly. Right. So I'm trying to put myself in your position. Um, I guess you were, you were like what, a sophomore in high school at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was a sophomore in high school um, in 1981, I was also very well uh, indoctrinated into you know, my side of, of the, uh, you know, the, the Jewish side of this conflict. Um, and I think I would have regarded anyone with a different point of view as very suspect and suspicious. Like, like I think I still oh, feel, I, I still feel that in myself, like, well, they must be lying because we're told like whenever there's, whenever there's something, you know, I was taught whenever there was some news about Israel that wasn't positive, someone was lying or someone was manipulating it. Someone was using it. Like I remember, exactly. you know, like hearing about Sabra and Shatila, these massacres in which the Israeli government was clearly implicated. And the message I got was, well, it's the Christians killing the Muslims and everybody blames the Jews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I don't see how I could have gone to Seeds of Peace and... And been open to it at at that age. What was what, what was your experience? Well, so that's exact. I think you touched on something really, um, really on point about the dynamics of how that happened. The way that seeds works, and the way that the Jerusalem Youth Chorus works, is that it supplements the political sort of uh, deadlock around the way narratives are built to be zero sum with personal uh, connection and trust that is built between people in a non-political way. Um, And then when you combine that with a dialogue process, people then can, you're you're faced with with a dilemma where basically you have been taught one thing, but this person whom you've come to trust is telling you some story from their life that is clearly true and you trust them and you believe them. And so then it makes you question your own narratives. 
Mm. Um, and so that's a very powerful thing. And so at Seeds, that happens through like summer camp activities and, you know, being in a bunk together and whatever. And in the Jerusalem Youth Chorus, um, it happens through music. Um, and that's sort of the second part of my story, um, where also sort of from a very young age, I've always found community in groups of people who are singing together. Um, and that was just, you know, something that was very important to me growing up. And as I grew up, I intellectualized more and more this connection between singing with others and feeling a sense of shared identity with those people. Um, and that's something that then the more I spent time at Seeds of Peace, the more I saw that this kind of process of musical community building could happen even in a context where people were supposed to hate each other and have nothing in common, um, like a, a conflict context. Uh -huh. um, and so I started putting those things together and exploring how they could work and support one another, the sort of musical community building process and the transformational dialogue process. And one thing kind of led to another. And then I uh, decided to go to Jerusalem and start the Jerusalem Youth Chorus. Yeah, so I was, I'm curious about that because I was I was reading that you kind of did this work as as part of your your studies at Yale, like as you were in the mm -hmm. the, the Whiff and Poofs and another another singing group, and clearly you know music and musical arrangement was a big part of your life, and you were involved in this these you know these theoretical frameworks around dialogue and with Seeds of Peace. Still, it feels like a pretty big leap. Like, was it, were you or were your family worried? Like you're throwing away this like $400,000 piece of paper, this, you know, this, <laughs> this Yale degree to go invent something, you know, outlandish in the Holy Land? Well, so that's one way of looking at it. Um, but I think I'm very, well, I'm very grateful, particularly to my parents for seeing that this was actually an incredible use of the $400,000 piece of paper um, specifically because that's really, it was the application of what I had been studying. Um, and I, it was very important. I, I talked to my parents obviously at great length before just moving to Jerusalem to start the chorus. And I was talking to them also about, look, is this really worth doing? Is this something that could actually make an impact? And, and I was talking specifically to, to my dad and he was saying, look, if you're just going to go to Jerusalem and get like 10 Israeli and Palestinian kids to sing together, and that's going to be what you do, like, then you're wasting your time. But if you do it, you need to do it big. You need to do it in a way that really makes a big difference, not only for them, but also for the people they know and makes a huge statement um, on a global stage, you know, and sort of leverages the work that you're doing um, to impact more than just the 10 people in the room. Um, and we've been very lucky also that we've been able to do that as well. Um, and I think the core of it the Palestinian conflict, but in terms of having the courage to pursue whatever change they feel their community or their society needs or they need in their own lives, 
you know, that it may not be impossible, even if it's highly improbable. Hmm. So when, when, uh, when you thought about going to Jerusalem, um, you know, we've, uh, we, we talked before we, we started recording about our mutual friend, Danny Warshe, who's a, a teacher of entrepreneurship and thinking big and vision. Did you, did you have any sense on, on, like on the ground, like, was there receptivity? Was this a problem worth solving? Or did you just go there saying like, oh, let me, let me see what, what this, what's going on and whether this is a good idea. Like at what, at what point were you when you well, arrived? Well, really helpful and this sort of ties back to your earlier question, is my senior thesis had actually been, can you take this model where music builds community in which dialogue can happen, that I had seen work at Seeds of Peace, can you do that on the ground in Jerusalem in a sustained way? Uh And that was my senior thesis in music and international studies. And so at that point, I had learned a great deal about not only the theory of it, but where the rubber meets the road and what's possible and what's not possible and how you need to uh, frame a kind of project like this. Like why someone would want to even join something like this, you know, and, and thinking about their uh, point is very different thinking about maybe the purpose of the project. It's just a, it's a totally different perspective. So you're, you know, in putting yourself in the shoes of the people who you're trying to recruit as singers or the parents who are trying to convince that this is okay, or the administrators from schools, that's very different than other things. And so when I had been actually doing my thesis research, I had learned a lot about the on the ground sort of reality and perspective of the different players that I was going to end up working with. Um, and that was very helpful. So I, I noticed from, from something I read that you studied with, I'm not sure how to say your name, Isaiah, Isaiah Barnwell, Isaiah, from, Barnwell. From, mm-hmm. Isaiah Barnwell from Sweet Honey and the Rock, who are also yeah. you know, an acapella group and uh, political and social activists. Can you tell what, what was that like and what, what did you come away with? That was uh, my my uh, my studying the Barnwell is definitely one of the most amazing things uh, that I've been able to do um, in my life. I learned so much from her, and specifically, I learned really two main things. One was the skill of how to lead community singing, which she calls community singing, or this idea that. You can take any group of people and get them singing together in harmony in a matter of minutes, even if they don't think that they can sing. Um, And that's an incredible thing, an incredibly liberating thing. Um, And so I learned from her how to do that, um, which is a technique that you saw me use and in this concert in New York. Um, right. That that really came directly from Isaiah Barnwell's community singing uh, techniques. Um, and the other was I learned so much from her about the African-American singing tradition and the, the ways that music can be a part of social change and 
the ways that music can be a tool for not just bringing people together, but bringing people together for a purpose. Um, and how that had happened throughout different periods of American history uh, in the African-American community and taking inspiration from that, not just intellectually, but musically as well. Gotcha. All right. So, so you arrived on the ground in Jerusalem. Um, did I assume from Seeds of Peace and from your thesis work, you had like a thing to do, like the first doors to knock on? What, mm-hmm. what, did you, what, what, did, what was the strategy? Well, I arrived in July uh, 2012. I spent the first month just having coffee with as many people as possible. Um, whether those people were educators or musicians or policy people or social activists or just community members. Um, I met as many people as possible just to basically ask them how I should start and what I was going to encounter and who were the right people who would have access to youth because that's what I needed. I needed to find singers. Um, Uh And so in that first month, I made uh, a lot of connections with different schools and community centers and music teachers. Um, And then during the second month, I basically did, uh, I just nonstop phone calls and meetings to these different schools and community centers to build a recruiting strategy. And then the following month, I went into these schools and community centers and music uh, studios and gave presentations in Hebrew and Arabic to the singer, to the students there, basically about this new chorus that was going to be the coolest thing they were going to do in high school. So uh, so first of all, you, you had learned Hebrew and Arabic. Yes, that was important. When did when did you find time for that? Uh, well, I studied Hebrew in this Jewish school that I had been at through sixth grade, um, and then I studied Arabic in college. Gotcha. Uh, so, what w- w- were there um, different messages when you were talking with the the Jewish kids and the Palestinian kids? Not really. I mean, it was kind of a, what was different was that it wasn't the message that you would give to an academic committee about why this work was going to be transformative. Sure. It was, it was, here's why this is the coolest thing that you're going to do in high school. You know, here's why you're going to make new friends. You're going to learn English and you're going to travel the world and we're going to make music videos and you're going to get to give concerts for your friends and all these really amazing things. You're going to learn to sing, maybe read music, maybe learn music of different styles, like these different, uh, these different things that for a teenager are really cool. And I would argue um, that that is way more important. If I had gone in saying, yeah, we're going to like change the conflict, people are going to be like, what are you on? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so you have to meet them where they are. Um, and the transformation definitely happened, but it's not why people join. Uh, but, but so like 
you didn't hide the fact that they were going to, I mean, you didn't hide the fact that you were an American Jew speaking, I assume with an accent, um, that you didn't hide the fact that they were going to be meeting the other, right? Did that... No, definitely not. But I didn't, like, I didn't harp on it either. You know, uh-huh. it was part of the presentation and it was clear, you know, if our, if our, um, if we say, okay, you're going to be, you know, this course is going to be with singers from East and West Jerusalem. Like everybody knows what that means. But again, uh-huh. that's, those aren't the reasons. Look, some people join because they affirmatively think that's really cool. It's great. But we also had singers who somehow didn't even really get that and sort of came for an audition interview. And then were kind of surprised to see, you know, people from the other side of the city. And that's cool because, you know, they didn't leave. Uh-huh. Um, which is to say that we are tricking anybody, but, you know, sometimes people are paying more or less attention. But the selling point, in order also not to just be totally self-selecting for people who are already super in the peace camp, you know, it's good that we have people who are coming who are coming to sing and who sure. aren't coming to, like, make peace, quote-unquote. Um, yeah, you're, that, you know, that, you're, you're, you're literally not just preaching to the choir. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and I think that's really important. And so we've had singers who have come from a wide variety of political backgrounds, some even who have grown up in settlements or um, who have lived um, sort of behind the wall or in different pretty difficult uh, political circumstances who have still been in the chorus and found it incredibly powerful. Uh-huh. And just for context, for folks who aren't up on the, the situation on the ground, when you, when you say settlements and behind the wall, can you talk about what, what that means? Sure. Most of the singers in the choir are from East and West Jerusalem, um, sort of just generally the municipality of Jerusalem. But there's also... Um, you know, Jerusalem is very close to the West Bank. Um, and in the West Bank, you have, you know, there's a wall that Israel has built to separate uh, Israel from the West Bank, or I would say to separate Israel from parts of the West Bank that it doesn't feel it can annex right now. Um, but that's just my political soapbox. In any case, there are settlements that Israel is building in the West Bank uh, of Israeli Israeli settlements um, in the West Bank. And so some of the singers in the choir have actually been from settlements near Jerusalem as well. Um, and that's kind of remarkable given that settlement folks tend to be more right-wing in their ideology. Uh, many of them move to settlements because of that ideology. But it's important also to note that obviously singers who are in high school, you know, they didn't choose to like move to a settlement or whatever. That's where they grew up, you know, in the same way that I had whatever narrative I had growing up, you know, that's the life that they knew. Um, So the fact that they were able to still see that this chorus could be really cool and come and then really have their minds opened in a, in a great way is really cool. And so, and then when I say also some of the Palestinian kids live behind the wall, I mean that 
there's a very difficult and complicated situation about there are some areas that are technically part of the municipality of Jerusalem. Um, so you pay taxes to the city of Jerusalem, but you're living on the other side of this separation wall. And so it's, it's very strange. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but one of the Palestinian kids in the choir had his house demolished, like while he was in the choir mm-hmm. by the government. You know, so it's like people are dealing with serious issues um, it's not somehow that we just get all the people who are already in the peace camp, quote unquote. You know, we have kids living different and very difficult lives um, who come together to sing and to be friends and ultimately learn a great deal in the process and then are able to shine this light of look how things could be different if people had the opportunity to meet and create together as equals. Yeah, it must. And that's what we do. It, it, it must um, sort of remove like the, the, the venom of, of fear and distrust. Like when, it, when a kid from, from the settlement is singing next to a kid who's just had their house demolished, I don't know, in, you know, Shuafat or somewhere. And they have to acknowledge that. That their government exactly. did it. That that must be tremendously unsettling. Definitely. And that's why we have the dialogue process as a core part of the core experience. That that also is really important. If it were just, okay, let's have the kid from the settlement and the kid from, you know, his house was demolished, like come and like sing next to each other and go home. That's messed up. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. But that's why we create the space for them to share those realities with one another and help the other to see where they're coming from and what they have to deal with in their lives. And in that way, you create understanding. And that then gets expressed through the music that we sing. Uh-huh. So what's, what's that like, especially you know, at the beginning or when they first join because I, I have a I have a picture in my head that of like what the process is like for these kids and it's like there's literally like there's butterflies and and rainbows and I'm sure mm-hmm. it's, I'm sure it's a lot messier than that. Oh definitely. Um I mean look it's ultimately it's a process like in any group of people that is full of promise and possibility and many challenges. Um, Not just because it's an Israeli-Palestinian thing, not just even because they're dealing with youth, just because we're dealing with a group of people. Um, And a lot of the things that have happened, actually, because we were very, very, very careful in how we uh, approach the conflict-related elements, of things in terms of language, in terms of representation, in terms of culture, in terms of where we perform and where we don't perform, who we perform for and who we don't, things like that. We've been very, very careful about that and have avoided somehow many, many issues having to deal with the conflict. is not to say we don't talk about them in dialogue, but we've avoided crises that could have come from somebody who was less aware Um, or a team of staff who are thinking about this less critically. 
Um, and so we've been very lucky in that regard. So most of the things that come up are just sort of normal people conflicts. <laughs> and uh -huh. so we deal with those. So how, so how do you deal with this? Let's say there's, you know, in any group of teenagers, there, there'll be just personality conflicts, right? Regardless, do, you know, what if there's like a, you know, a girl, a, a, a girl from West Jerusalem and a boy from East Jerusalem who just don't get along. And now you've got this, this cultural and political overlay. Overtone. Mm -hmm. how, 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 does, yeah. how, how does that get dealt with? Well, you have to first, I mean, again, this is another reason why we have the space for dialogue within the chorus is that it's not just about the outside reality on a macro level. It's about people's lives and experiences on every level. So that has to do with outside, that has to do with inside the choir, and that has to do with their own sense of self. And so, you know, if you have a conflict between uh, two kids in the choir and that acquires this sort of political overtone, um, then you, you say, okay, like bring it to dialogue, talk about it. Uh -huh. And then the facilitators who run the dialogue process, who are trained in these kinds of uh, processes, help them to first like separate some of this political level from what actually happened, because most of the time it has nothing to do with it. Um, most of the time it was just kind of added because that's what society trains us to do. Um, and to go through whatever process is necessary in terms of transforming that conflict into something else and building a sense of understanding or uh, reconciliation in one way or another. Um, but I think what you said about, you know, dealing with the sort of the way that everything gets politicized is really on point. Like the number of people who have called me racist, like singers in the choir who have called me racist for basically just doing something that they didn't like and assuming that it was because they were whatever, uh -huh. um, is, is more than even I had expected, you know, and that's okay because that's when you have two societies that are conditioned to be the victims always because of who they are. Um, then that's perpetuated, that you have this sense of, well, it must be because I'm whatever. Um, and you help people to choose their own destiny, you know, and to say, look, I'm actually, yeah, there are these systems that are legitimately present in the world that are trying to oppress me or determine who I can be or whatever, but ultimately it's my choice who I'm going to be and how I'm going to, how I'm going to act in my own life. Mm. Do, you have any, do you have any, um, illustrative stories about maybe ind individual kids and who, who transformed in some way or had revelations or. Yeah. I mean, one thing that, one thing that's been really powerful, I mean, most of the time I'm not sitting in the dialogue process. We have facilitators, again, who are, who are running that process. And so um, I can't say, oh, yeah, this kid, like, this week said this thing, and then next week said the opposite thing. But there are a couple examples I have of that because I have, you know, sat in some. And so 
one example, one of the things that we do is we often don't approach the conflict head on, but we, we go through a discourse of values where we're talking about things like equality or freedom or uh, justice and, and, and investigating those in a, almost in a philosophical sense first. Uh-huh. Like, what is this? You know, these are words that people use all the time, but what do they really mean? And people really thinking about them when they use them are for equality. Like there are different kinds of equality. And do we all say, okay, yeah, we like equality, but what if equality comes at the cost of freedom, which we also like, like, how do you deal with that? And looking at that in contexts such as gender, for example, which is a major issue, particularly like, I mean, I would say in society period, but particularly when you're dealing with teenagers, um, you know, is a very sensitive issue um, that isn't necessarily polarized on an Israeli-Palestinian uh, dichotomy, right? It's just sort of everyone mm. has their own experience of gender um, and what equality means in that context. And so it was very interesting. So, you know, there was a group that in the choir that was talking about uh, gender inequality and uh, a Palestinian guy who was saying, yeah, like, I think, you know, that, that women should stay home so that we can treat them as queens and, like, take care of them and things like that. And, and some of the... Um, some of the Israeli uh, girls or even Palestinian girls are saying, yeah, but like, would you trade places with them? And they're like, of course not. That wouldn't make any sense. Um, and then the next week, when it turned to like the conflict, that same guy was talking about how he's not equal to, uh, to Israelis and how that that's not, that's not fair and, and it doesn't make any sense. And then, and one of them said, yeah, well, do you think an Israeli would want to trade places with you? And then it kind of was a light bulb moment for, for, for this guy being like, wait a minute, wow, that's exactly the way that I was treating women, but I expect to be treated in this way also. And, and just seeing how this is value really undergirded so many different elements of his life. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it often happens in a very sort of indirect indirect way. It's not all as much as, oh my God, I thought all X were Y. Now I see that they're Z, you know, but that kind of macro change does happen over the course of many different meetings and everyone has their own process. But, but what I can say is that we have, we, we take singers who come most of the time with absolutely no prior experience having ever even met somebody from the other side in any significant way, certainly not high level and in the sense of like, Oh, we could be friends. You know, maybe they've talked to somebody who was like their waiter or who was building their building or who was their boss, but certainly not somebody who could be their friend. Um, and then creating incredible friendships and life-changing experiences for, for these singers and then having them have the opportunity to reflect that on a global stage. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I was listening to that story about um, the, the young man's light bulb moment, like what was missing for me was like rhetoric. Like, you know, like I, I could hear that and then say, well, yes, but it's different. Like, like there was no, it didn't sound like a debate. <laughs> Right, like you could easily right, kind of... yeah. Dialogue is not a dialogue is not a debate. Yeah. Um, yeah, even like... though often it starts as a debate, or people want to take it into the space of debate, but it it really is a non-zero sum space, which is exactly the opposite of the way that society, whether in Jerusalem or in the U.S. or increasingly kind of in many places in the world, honestly, um, increasingly not the way that society is structured. And so we're trying to sort of restructure uh, society, you know, in, in micro. Gotcha. So I'm curious about the music itself. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll start with a, a top level question. Like, how do you choose the music and what, what goes into that decision? Sure. Um, so for the course of existence so far, um, I basically have chosen the music and I choose music from different styles, different cultures, different languages, different messages, uh, different uh, possibilities for how they can be arranged, Um trying to be as representative and as interesting and as eclectic as possible um, because ultimately that really represents the diversity of the group that we have. Uh Um, And it's very important to emphasize that we're not a classical choir somehow singing like the Mozart Requiem or whatever. That's like not what we do and not what we aspire to do. Um, We sing music that is relevant to the lives of the kids that we work with that come from the cultures that they grew up in um, and that they resonate with um, and that they can uniquely contribute to the world. You know, I don't, I don't think that the world needs another choir singing the Mozart Requiem. They do need somebody (laughs) singing a piece in Hebrew and Arabic that kids from these conflict communities wrote themselves together about their lives. That is something that, that, can be a unique contribution to the world. Mm. Um, and so that's what we focus on. Um, one of the things musically that's exciting that is actually a manifestation of an overall trend within the chorus um, at this stage in our development, now that we're going into our seventh year, which is kind of an amazing thing to say, <laughs> in, at least for me anyway, um, is the fact that now we're moving into a model where the singers themselves are going to have much more uh, leadership opportunity within all the different elements of how the chorus is run. And so part of that is suggesting repertoire and deciding on the artistic uh, vision and, and what we want to do as a group in every way, but that manifests itself musically as well. So we actually had a meeting a couple of weeks ago where I asked, you know, singers to just suggest songs that they thought we should sing. And we'll then sort of talk about that and, and craft a repertoire. And ultimately, you know, I, I'm still the director and I still, you know, have the responsibility of a repertoire that will be successful 
um, which means that everyone will feel interested in it and will want to sing it and that audiences will be moved by it and that it will be learnable and also that people will take us seriously as musicians. So like those are many parameters, but I am involving the singers more in that process uh, than uh, I necessarily have in the past. And I'm excited Mm. about that. Yeah. I just put myself in your shoes for a moment and I got a little, I got scared <laughs> of, give, uh, of, of giving up. I love that you say you're excited about it. Cause I, I had that same feeling like, Oh gosh, like I don't, you know, I want to give them, I understand the reason for, for this power shift. And I'm really scared about all the ways I'm going to have to overrule them because they don't get it. Oh, for sure. And that'll still, that'll still happen. But what I've learned, and because we're working within a context where the goal is to empower the singers rather than a top-down context where they're, where our goal is for them to just do whatever we say and shut up, mm. you know, our, the primary goal of the chorus is to empower these singers as leaders. So it, it, it's already happened in, in contexts where we didn't want it to happen, so, like, if, if I say, okay, we're going to do this song and we've learned it and whatever, and then people just don't like it, then they'll just be like, we don't want to sing this anymore. <laughs> we think that we are done. We don't like this song, uh-huh. you know? And so it doesn't matter if, you know, if it, and then it's even worse because we've already invested time in learning it and they just hated it, sure. you know? So so at a certain point, it's even, like, it's the, it's the, only, it's the only way to do it if you're going to have a more open uh, sort of purpose, what the choir's about. Yeah. So I'm wondering, are there any, were there any particular songs that if we, if we then, you know, go back to this, your, your, your vision of what this could be in terms of changing lives, as opposed to, you know, we're going to, we're going to have the coolest time and have fun and say, are there any songs like when, as people learned it and came together and began to harmonize and click that you felt like, like this song has some magic to it to, to, you know, touch the human heart? Absolutely. Um, I'll talk about um, just sort of a song that's really become the anthem of the, of the chorus. And it's a song called home. And uh, we have uh, we made a music video of this song actually with a YouTube star who's a friend of mine. It has four hundred thousand views, and it's been uh, really in many ways a torch bearing song for us because the lyrics really express the core of what it means to be in the chorus. Um, and we didn't write it. We Philip Phillips, uh, you know, sings it. Um, but it just really matches who we are. I mean, the words basically say, settle down, it'll all be clear. Don't pay no mind to the demons, they fill you with fear. Trouble, it might drag you down. If you get lost, you can always be found. Just know you're not alone, because I'm going to make this place your home. Mm. And that is really the fundamental promise that almost the singers are really singing this to each other mm-hmm. and and it really serves that function of this is a place for all of us and we each make it a place for all of us 
And that resonates on a within the chorus level, it resonates on a Jerusalem level, and it resonates on a global level. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'll, I'll include a link to that and, in the yeah. show notes so people can, can watch it. Great. Yeah, no, it's a really, a really beautiful video. So I noticed that you have an album that's come out or coming yes, out. Yes, also, also, also called Home. Actually, that's the title track on the album. Uh-huh. And uh, the album is really exciting because it really shows the incredible range of music that we sing, and um, the different languages, different styles. And some of it also is is recorded in different ways. So some of it is more like studio recorded for a more sort of pop acapella sound. And some of it is live recorded in in a beautiful church in the old city. Um, and so you have a real range of, of musical experiences also on the album. So uh-huh. I would definitely recommend checking that out. Gotcha. Where can people find that? I, I, I didn't see it on Spotify. <laughs> oh, we are on Spotify actually. You are. All right. I have to, I'll have to do a better search mm-hmm. then. It may say, yeah, I mean, the, the, name, uh, the name is the YMCA Jerusalem Youth Chorus on Spotify that we're still working on. There, there have been a number of sort of branding changes happening recently, so it may be that, that you didn't find it uh, for one of those reasons that's our fault. All right, well. Uh, uh... But, yeah, if you just search the YMCA Jerusalem Youth Chorus on Spotify, or even just Jerusalem Youth Chorus, you shouldn't find it. Okay, I'll, um, I'll do it again. And then it's, the album's called Home. Yeah. Cool. So I'm I'm remembering an experience I had um, when I was I was in Israel in eighty five eighty six and I joined the uh, the choir of the Reuben Academy. Um, oh, that's and, great! I didn't know that. I actually sang with them for years as well. Oh, cool! Um, yeah, we had uh, with family. Uh, Aaron Charlap. Oh, okay. So before family, got it. Yeah, he was a, a Canadian. Um, he taught us all how to say sorry <laughs> for, uh, for the, the road less traveled. Um, but I remember we did a, a performance for, it was, it was some sort of, you know, big wig knobby function. And we were doing it. We did a bunch of songs and we, we were doing, you know, the repertoire, right? The, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, um, like a, a Mendelssohn and a Mozart and a, and a little Beethoven. It was all, you know, sort of the, the Christian liturgy, which is, you know, what, mm-hmm. a, and I believe it was Itzhak Navon, was the president of Israel, oh, wow. got up after we sang and basically excoriated us for not doing Jewish songs. Uh, and so I, I, yep. I, I tell that story just to get it off my chest, but also to, to lead into the question, like, I know you guys are not all, you know, universally beloved by the the people you're trying to serve, you know, Israeli or Palestinian institutions and leaderships. And I'm wondering if you could talk about what what that's been like and, you know, the, the nature of the opposition and how you deal with it. And if you're making sort of headway. Yeah. So that's a a serious topic. Um, In terms of, we interface with different parts of society in many different ways. Some of it has to do with uh, just the singers and what they bring. Some of it has to do with their parents or their classmates. Some of it has to do with people who potentially want to hire us for concerts. Um, 
but maybe trying to use us in a way that really is not who we are, um, or people who don't want to have us because they misunderstand who we are or because they're just opposed to what we're trying to do. Um, so it's a very difficult uh, circumstance in which to work. Um, I think, um, you know, an, uh, an interesting place to start is, of course, with the parents of the singers, because many are supportive and many are skeptical and many are, well, I won't say many, but some are even opposed uh, to their children being in the chorus. They see it as threatening in one way or another, um, or they think it'll be bad for their for their child. And we have to, you know, deal with that potential backlash. And sometimes parents try to sort of, if they're in a relationship, usually, usually if a parent really thinks this will be bad for their child and is, you know, pretty on top of things and we can't uh, sort of talk to them or convince them to give it a shot, then they'll just sort of pull their child from the chorus and, and there's nothing we can do about that. The situations that are more interesting are where you have a parent and a child who disagree vehemently about this and who have their other problems sort of in the family that sort of then will manifest themselves in this relationship. So we even had a parent whose, whose daughter was at a boarding school um, and they didn't really get along, but he was very right wing and she was in the chorus and loved it. And he tr basically, he knew that he couldn't really tell his daughter what to do in terms of not being in the choir, but he tried to blackmail us somehow into kicking his daughter out of the choir because he thought it was bad. Mm. Like he was saying, look, I'm going to like write letters in the Knesset and I'm going to write letters against you and we'll go to the municipality and da, 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 da. So you have to like kick my daughter out of the choir because she won't listen to me. <laughs> You know, it was very strange. It was very strange. And obviously we didn't do that. We ended up uh, sort of inviting him to just come and speak with us. And finally he was willing to do that. And so we talked and it was me and it was the associate director of the Jerusalem YMCA at the time um, where, we, where we were based. And it turned out first he was accusing us of all being Christian missionaries. And he was like saying all these things that really made no sense. Um, and then it turned out that they had both served in the army in a similar unit at the same time. And then all charges were dropped and he left, you know, so it was just a very strange, uh, very strange way that sort of people interact that sort of the chorus sort of fits in other or doesn't fit in with different um, ways of viewing the world that people have that are very sharp and very unforgiving often. And so we need to try to sort of finesse our way through this sort of thicket of, of people's pre-existing opinions and stereotypes and needs. Yeah. And agendas. Yeah. I was wondering about like, you know, your kids, um, you know, going going back to their communities, to their classrooms, to their extended families and you know, now hearing the same things they've been hearing for their whole lives 
through a different filter. Like, yeah, but that's not, yeah. that's not the whole story. And like, how, that's like a heavy thing to put on anyone. How, how do you, how do your teenagers Definitely. handle that? Well, what's kind of amazing is that many of them handle it with incredible leadership. So there's another story of one of our singers who that exact situation uh, was where she was in school. She was at an Orthodox school and not like an ultra Orthodox school, but like an Orthodox uh, girls school. And she had a teacher who was particularly vitriolic in his uh, treatment of the subject matter having to do with Arabs in his class and he was saying, oh yeah, Arabs this and Arabs that and all these stereotypes. And one day she just like stood up in class and confronted him and just said like, actually, no, you're wrong. Like, you can't say those things. That's really racist. And like, I have friends who are Arab and they're not what you're saying. Wow. So like, you don't know, like you don't know them. Um, And that's an incredibly powerful thing for so many reasons. Um, and, and what was particularly amazing about this context was that she had actually introduced some of her friends from this girl's Orthodox school to some of her Arab friends from the chorus. And so they actually, some of that, some of her friends at school actually knew who she was talking about and knew that they were cool because they also got along and were also like friends on Facebook and Snapchatted to each other and, you know, whatever they were doing because they were just being teenagers. Uh-huh. And so then you have this teacher who's saying, yeah, they're all, da, 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 and she's like, no. And her friends backed her up. Huh. And that was really powerful that ultimately it changed what this teacher could say in class. Wow. Because there was like somehow like there was, there was pushback. There was a little bit of resistance to that. And and that's a change that she made. So in the, in the last couple of years, I guess, you've uh, the, the chorus has become famous a little bit internationally. I know you, you were on uh, Colbert show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't remember. Was, was that the um, his old Colbert rapport or the no, sadly, we were not on the report. No, we were on the late show. On the late show. Um, in his first weeks, actually, as host of as host of the late show, uh, which was really exciting. When we were there, we just saw, you know, Colbert's face on like all of the buses in New York City. <laughs> so, so do, you know, we we felt very famous. Do do kids in Jerusalem? Do kids in Jerusalem understand like the cultural significance of of being on the late show and? Stephen Colbert? Oh, I mean, not because of The Late Show, but once they were in New York and saw that this was, like, on every bus in the city, <laughs> then they got it. Uh-huh. So what was, what was that like for them? And, and I'm curious, you know, I guess, you know, the, the experience of, of, of being, uh, you know, in, on the media that way, but also on maybe their, their image of themselves and of, of the the whole project? Like, did it take on some additional, like, oomph as a result of that? Yeah, I think that through not just the appearance on a light show, but a number of the incredible opportunities that we've had, it helps empower the singers in the sense that they 
they see that they are important. Mm. Um, and that's a really important thing, not just for them as, as Israeli and Palestinians, but like as, as youth, as young people, to see that the world cares about what they have to say. Like almost every member of the chorus has been interviewed by media of one kind or another. I mean, everyone who wants to. You know, not everyone wants to talk to the media. That's fine. Sure. But we've been covered by different journalists and sources of media and whether it's sort of written or podcasts or TV or whatever. We've been covered a hundred times. And that's an extraordinary thing if you're just sort of a teenager and then the BBC radio wants to talk to you about your life and your experiences in this choir, then you say, wow, like what I actually say makes a difference. Hmm. You know, and maybe we're doing something really significant. Um, and that's an amazing thing. I mean, it just, it helps substantiate um, this experience as something that can then hopefully withstand all of the counter pressures that society puts on all the time, as you were saying. Yeah. So you say you're, you're in your seventh. You feel like people are listening. Mm, yeah. You say you're in your seventh year now. Or... Yeah. Um, so do you have any sense of like what happens when students leave the choir and go out into the world, like uh, an alumni network or a pulse mm -hmm. of, of what they're up to? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we've been working with um, is what is exactly that is how to not just sort of how to continue to engage our alumni because our alumni want to stay engaged, but how to, how to create a, space that enables them to stay engaged given like the changing realities of their schedules. Mm. Um, and so we're working on that. But one of the things that's really exciting also about this new model that we're going into where the singers themselves are going to have more of a say in how the chorus is run is that we're actually going to have a number of alumni positions um, where we're going to have assistant conductors who will be chorus alumni and have coordinators and maybe even facilitators who are chorus alumni. Um, and, and, and that's really exciting because that's a way to create a lot more continuity in terms of the culture of the chorus. And that ultimately makes it the most sustainable when you're not just, you know, always hiring external staff to manage quote unquote, the kids, but you have these young people are growing and as they grow, have different opportunities to be involved that fit like where they are. Right. And also I imagine to give the kids a sense of possible futures, right? If you're, if you're just <laughs> with this one point of light in a pretty dark conflict, I don't, you know, it's hard to imagine how some, some kid from, um, you know, a town that's being raised in the West Bank or, or a, uh, you know, a fancy suburb of Jerusalem can see themselves like not just getting sucked back into their culture, but to see that there are space, there are places yeah. and spaces for this kind of thing to, to flourish. 
Exactly. And that's also why it's important, you know, to be connecting with other organizations that are also doing this work, um, like the concert that we did uh, in New York with Seeds and the New Israel Fund, um, to really build a community of people who are doing this, not just sort of, okay, we have just our choir and then there's just this other group doing tech and then there's this other group doing sports and we're all just in our silos. Like it's important to, you know, if we're really trying to build a movement. Um, and there are groups that are working on that, which is great that we're, uh, that we're a part of. And we often perform at sort of other groups events to try to, um, you know, strengthen, you know, that sense of solidarity as well. Right. Can I ask you just quickly about, like, who pays for all this? <laughs> and how, how, how do you, how, yeah, how, exactly. how did you start and how, how are you managing to put, you know, kids on planes to go all over the world? And like, it seems, it seems like a pretty yeah. capital intensive project. Yeah, no, it is. Um, because we really do things right, which is to say that it would be very easy to just run a choir very cheaply if we like didn't have dialogue and didn't actually think about these conflict issues or would take uh, any opportunity from anybody that would pay us even if, you know, it wasn't really the right thing to do. And, you know, so it, it definitely is a very uh, capital intensive project as you said. Uh, we have been incredibly blessed to have um, an angel donor in London who has been really inspired by the work that we were doing really from our first year and has given us a huge amount of support towards making that possible. Um, but that doesn't cover everything. And so we still have a lot of fundraising that we're always actively doing and that's, you know, if, if anyone is listening to this podcast and is inspired by this work, uh, please feel free to get in touch um, and get involved however makes sense. Well, so let's, let's, um, ju let's jump in right now with how they can do that in case they uh, get uh, distracted by a traffic light or something. Sure. Um, so, yeah, you can go to our website, uh, .org, um and learn more about the program. Um, you can donate if you are so inclined. You can share our videos on whatever social media platform you like. You can, if you're going to be coming to uh, Jerusalem, you can come and visit us or maybe bring a group to come visit us. You can hire us for a concert. You can invite us to your festival or your city. Uh, there are many different ways um, of connecting with us and being involved. And we welcome all of that. So it's www.jerusalemchorus.org. Jerusalem Youth Chorus. Ooh, Jerusalem Youth Chorus. I'm glad I asked. Yeah. Great. Jerusalemyouthchorus.org. Great. So um, what, what are your plans for the next uh, six months and 50 years? That's, uh, that's two different questions. Uh, well, for the next, yeah, exactly. Well, for the next, but they're also kind of one and the same, which is to say that in the next six months, we're focused on really building the way that the singers themselves are going to have more of a leadership role in the chorus um, and doing that in the right way, um, which is really exciting and also a challenge. 
Um, so that's what we're focused on at the moment. And that really ties into your second question about the next 50 years, because ultimately, I think really creating a self-sustaining community of leadership for the chorus is a really critical way of ensuring that, you know, it will be flourishing still in 50 years and hopefully will be really an institution in Jerusalem um, with not just one ensemble, but many ensembles and maybe even ensembles in different cities or a network of conflict dialogue choirs in different parts of the world. Um, there are many different uh, possibilities for the way that this model can impact communities and individuals, not just in Jerusalem, also, for example, even in the U.S., um, which is another, uh, I would say, certainly conflict zone uh, at this point. Yep. And um, and I and that's actually something that I'm doing a lot of thinking about is how to take the model that we built in Jerusalem and apply it in the U.S. to some of the problems that we're dealing with as a country as well. Wow. Well, that's uh, a, a beautiful vision. And, and I, I love both how, how big it is and, again, how, how, how micro, how, again, we're, yeah. you know, just we have, we have a scalability model um, thanks to you and we have a lot of energy to to replicate it and bring bring this kind of dialogue and i also i also love i just want to say i love the the message that you're giving these kids when they, when they're joining is like this is going to be the coolest experience you're ever going to have or have in high school like that's what i imagine peace could be like like imagine if you know if people kind exactly. of got along like man this would be a really cool world Exactly. There would be so many things that would be possible that right now are not possible. Um, and that would ultimately be the best for, for everybody. The problem is that, you know, you run into different elements of, of human psychology where people would rather be objectively worse off as long as they're better off than their neighbor. Mm. Um, and that's just kind of how our, how our minds are wired. And so, Overcoming that and creating cultural shifts around that obviously is is challenging. Right. Well, but there's no better place to learn that if you're better off than your neighbor, you're still not very well off than in the tenor section of a choir. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It really just creates it just creates an alternative reality uh, to that uh, mental inclination where you know if you're not listening, then you're all going to sound terrible. Mm. And so, you know, you need to listen, you need to work together, you need to, you know, support one another. Otherwise, there's no way to no way to make it happen. Beautiful. Well, Micah Hendler, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for for your vision and for for weaving so many things together and for for creating such a, a beautiful legacy to uh, the rest of us can can start to learn how to harmonize with. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be able to share a little bit of our experiences um, and hopefully provide a little bit of inspiration and hope in uh, in some pretty difficult times. So, right on. All right. Well, thanks again and be well. May, may you and uh, the, the chorus go from strength to strength. Thank you very much. You too. Okay. Bye-bye.
I know I say this a lot, but I really mean it. I hope you are as inspired by this conversation as I am, as I have been, as I hope I will continue to be. Uh, having spent a lot of time in that conflicted region of the world and having spent a lot of time in conflict in my own mind and in my own community, to connect with someone who can transcend the politics and get to the soul level and to do it in such an elegant and fun way uh, really means and meant a lot to me. And so I want to thank you for listening, for, for making this conversation possible. I certainly wouldn't have called him up and bent his ear for an hour um, if I didn't have an excuse, a reason to to share this with an audience. So I'm aware of how grateful I am to you, the listener, for making this possible as well. So if you're enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, there's a bunch of ways to do that. You can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can share this episode on social media, tell other people about it. And of course, you can become a sustaining patron of the show over at Patreon. Just search for Plant Yourself, or you can go to plantyourself.com and look for the Patreon link down the right sidebar. I'm going to repeat my call from last week for transcriptionists. I have a service that will transcribe these conversations for five bucks an hour, but they need cleaning up. So if you're not able or willing to sit and listen and press, press pause and replay and, and get it all down, and you just want to listen and fix errors, um, change punctuation, add periods and commas, paragraph breaks, add the names of the speakers, something that you can do sort of while you listen, if you're good at that sort of thing. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, hj at plantyourself.com. That would be a great service that you would provide to me and to people who would like to consume this in a non-audio format. If you'd like to check out the links for today's show, the show notes is on plantyourself.com slash 283. If you're new to the show, you should know there's 282 archived episodes up at plantyourself.com, and a new one gets released pretty much every Tuesday. In garden news, the grapes are, I would say, two weeks away from hopefully being ready. There's no other fruit. Um, we're starting to see a couple of eggplants maybe coming in. And I went to the farmer's market and got a lot of stuff that I don't grow. So it feels like a very farm-to-table week. Made a uh, okra gumbo and did use um, garlic from our garden that we harvested earlier and is now taking up the, an entire giant drawer in the fridge. In running news, I'm getting a little bit faster. I did a sub-10 10K this morning. Um, wasn't too bad. I'm looking to slowly regain my speed in time for a nice fall race. Haven't chosen one yet. Um, there is a an ultimate Frisbee tournament in Sarasota beginning of November. If I can find affordable flights, I will be doing some sprint work in preparation for that. So it's time for thanks. Of course, thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. But now I'm going to bring up a continuation of the song we heard at the beginning of this episode. It's Home by Philip Phillips as performed by the Jerusalem Youth Chorus. And if you go to plantyourself.com slash 283, you can find a beautifully done video with the soundtrack of their performance on it. So let's bring up Home while I read the, uh, the, the honor roll. All right, here we go. 
Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, and Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hathley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Konopsky, David Isaac, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolanola, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rollins, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Dorcas, Roger Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gail Sarah David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizo, Gio and Carol, Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderbird, Misha Rosen. Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lemon, Redford Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergen, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R, Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plan, Happy Oregon, Sabine, Sabina, Kurt Sills, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Rootless, Julian Watkins, Frio O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Sharon Hirschman, Kate Rosalind, Diot, Julie Lang, Home Hedekar, Isa Tuzin, Wakani Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lael, Heather O'Connor. Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divot, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, and welcoming Valerie Hummel, Deb Cassia, and Emily Kennelly. For your generous support of the podcast, I am so grateful. That's it for this week, as always. Be well, my friends. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kanofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Benham, Gil Lassert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carl- Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Aaron Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch at Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. 
Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Izatuzin Wa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Ashra Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Lehman, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Karts, Dean Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Rashad Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganshik, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sawyer Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, and Sarah Johnson for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.